welcome to the International Association of Business Communicators, Amina Region podcast. This is Monique Zitnik. Based in the Manchester area of the UK, Advita Patel is the director of Comms Rebel, who helps organisations build a culture that thrives. Advita recently published her book, which she co-authored with Priya Bates, called Building a Culture of Inclusivity. And it helps internal communications professionals, HR and business leaders engage employees in driving culture change to ensure that everyone feels valued and like they belong. And today, we are lucky to also be enjoyed by Priya Bates, who is joining us from her office in Toronto, Canada, and she is the president of Inner Strength Communication, IABC fellow and is also a huge influencer in the internal communication space. Thank you so much for joining us from across the oceans, Advita and Priya. Thank you, Monique. Glad to be here. <laughs> so let's start with you, Advita. What inspired you to specialise in the DE&I space? That is such a good question. It was a natural progression for me, Monique. It's an interest of um, that I've had for a while, for a long time. You know, being somebody who is a South Asian woman working in an industry that doesn't have much representation in terms of race. It was something that has always been part of my life, I would say, at least for the last 20 odd years. Interestingly, sorry, I should say, I rejected the fact that I was different from the mainstream, I suppose. I didn't want to be seen as a different person or come from a different background. So I avoided talking about inclusion, diversity, equity, equality for probably the first 10 years of my career because I never wanted to be othered and I never wanted to be seen as different. And I wanted, I had this whole thing about I want to be treated just like everybody else without actually recognising that I wasn't like everybody else. My lived experience was very different. I never saw leaders like me in senior positions. I never saw people like me in the world of comms and PR. The first time I saw the first person of colour working in PR was probably seven years in my career. And that, you know, that says a lot really, doesn't it, about our industry. Then I would say probably once I was past the 10-year point, I had a I had a colleague that I used to work with who was a black woman and she was treated poorly, really poorly by some of the leaders in the organisation that I supported. And it became very apparent that there was a lot of bias and discrimination going on because of who she was in terms of her race and gender, to be honest. People used to question her work ethics. They questioned her ability. Uh, And this person had just returned back from a very significant surgery. She had breast cancer and she obviously went through a very traumatic time. And there was a lot of working a bit later or coming in a bit later because she was recovering. And there was comments made about her work ethic, comments made about her credibility. And I remember coming home to my mum actually and speaking to her about the behaviours that I'd witnessed because I hadn't really seen it because I hadn't worked with somebody uh, of a different race before. And it was really interesting to me. My mum said to me that, you know, just this is what happens when you're different uh, and when you speak up. And she was very confident as well. That's the other thing. She was very confident in herself and who she was. And she was older than me. She's probably at that point, 15, 20 years older than me. And I really looked up to her as an inspiration. The point for me is I, I moved on to a different job 
And I misdialed her by mistake because I had somebody of the same name in my new team. And they picked up and said, um, and we had a, I had a bit of a chat. They said, oh, how are you doing? She goes, oh, I'm doing okay. She went, the last few months have been tough at work. People have been kind of excluded from conversations. There's been some performance management chat. But I've also relapsed. And that's the reason I was distracted because I relapsed and I knew something was wrong. Um, so once I've recovered again, I'm going to go back in. I'm going to prove them wrong. And I remember saying to her, don't focus on them, like focus on you, forget about them, like it doesn't really matter. And the line she kind of left with me was something like, um, no, I need to kind of prove them wrong. You know, I need to prove that I am good at what I do and I've worked hard to get to where I am. And this is just an inconvenience that I'm going through and I'm not going to let this stop me. And we kind of hung up and, and said our byes and said, we'll meet up again. And then two weeks later, a mutual friend called me and said that they'd passed away. And that shocked me to my core because the last conversation I had with her was all about belonging and it's all about feeling included and it's all about not being recognised for her uh, her credibility and her work and because it was because of her colour and it was because of her gender and I don't care what people say, you know, it wasn't because of that, it was and I witnessed it and I regret that I wasn't a better ally and I regret not speaking up and I regret shirking my responsibility as another woman of colour and rejecting my own culture and my own experience because I wanted to belong in the dominant culture. And that from that point on, I was driven to make change happen and to learn more about inclusion, diversity and equity and equality, understand what we can do as communication professionals to make a difference and ensure that people like my friend never leave this earth feeling like they don't belong. And I think we all have a role to play in that. And as communication professionals, we have a responsibility to advise and guide our leaders because we hear the stories and we hear the experiences and we can help people and our leaders understand the consequences of them behaving poorly towards individuals and the impact that can have not only on that individual, but also in the business. Uh, and if we want, you know, and that story is a reminder for me why we need to do this work and why Priya and I are very passionate about the work that we do. And it's an important thing to do. And that's, you know, that is quite a heart-wrenching story is is a word I'm looking for. And I can actually share that story now without crying. It took me a long time to unpick the guilt I had over that situation because I just let it happen. You know, I I sat there and and heard people speak with her inappropriately and I didn't speak up. And that is something that I promised myself. So this was about 12 years ago now. So 12, 13 years ago, I promised myself that that will never happen on my watch. And I hope that I've always kind of lived to that promise. So if you're ever in my company and I hear something, I will always call it out hugely powerful but also very tragic story and I'm finding it I mean it's 13 years ago but I'm still finding it very hard to listen to because I still recognize that things haven't necessarily changed hugely since then and we all do have a responsibility and you are talking about it which is the first step is that Mm -hmm. awareness but how about you, Priya? How how did you fall into this love and this area of comms specifically? And how did you two meet? Um, I'd love to hear the story there and, and also for our listeners. Well, well since we're on our IABC-related uh, podcast, uh, it is uh, about an IABC connection. So uh, Advita had followed me online uh, 
because I was in internal communication and more because I was one of the few people of color who were, you know, standing out, if you will, in the space. And when I went to the IABC conference, World Conference in Vancouver in 2019, Advita came running towards me, had to take a picture and it was fangirling and, and it was really, it was kind of cute. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, Another colleague, Trudy Lewis, uh, who, who's also uh, a woman of color and, and, and they both took a photograph. In fact, I still have the a photograph because they had like a photo wall or something, one of those yeah. uh, photo booths uh, around. So I still have it to this day on the day that we met in person. And I had followed her online as well. And I remember her saying, you know, I'd love to keep in touch. And there's nothing, you know, in this hybrid and virtual and remote world, there is nothing like meeting somebody in person to lift that relationship to another level. And it just has to be once sometimes. And, and it was really great. We stayed in touch and watched each other online. This was June 2019. Yeah. And by June 2020, Advita had decided to leave her work, uh, her in-house role, and uh, embark on a uh, entrepreneurship journey. And then yeah. there's that's another like classic IABC. IABC creates connection. It's a big part of our values, right? And so when she did that, she gave me a phone call and said, "I'd love to learn from another woman of color who has been on that journey before." And she had, you know, Alvita just like I do, have wide networks in the community communication profession, but there was something different about having somebody who could relate to you. And Advita and I are kind of from two generations. I think you're just at the the end of uh, millennial. I'm, you're kind I'm of straddling, <laughs> right? Straddling. Uh, so, uh, so there's a an age difference. There is, Advita was born in the UK. I was an immigrant to Canada. Um, we were in, you know, across an ocean in very two very different cultures, Canada versus the UK, and our stories were strikingly similar. And that was, I think, a big awakening moment for me, to have a conversation and be able to have somebody who understood your perspective and went through the same challenges. And I think you realize how much, this is the term I've uh, been using, how much you give up to fit in versus stand out. And, and I think we realized that I had just started, I, similar to Advita, I spent a lot of my career working to fit in, saying I'm just like everyone else. I was proud of the fact that I was the first, the first person of color to lead a national communication team for Canada's largest private sector employer, the first master communicator, one of the first master communicators, definitely the first who was a woman of color. This is the IBC Canada equivalent of a, a fellowship. One of the very few people of color in the fellows rank to this day. We've looked at the fellows that have been announced the last few years, and they're strikingly similar. The first IABC Toronto president, you know, Advita is going to be the first CPRS uh, uh, global C C pre uh, president, uh, 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 chair, CIPR. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I There's so, so many acronyms. <laughs> so many. Yeah. So, so, so the, she, she, in 2025, she'll be the first CIPR uh, chair. Is that uh, uh, pre president? President. Yes, yeah, so I want people to bow when they see me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm kidding. So I've been enjoying so, you yeah. practicing your wave. Um, <laughs> 
but there was a time there was a pride in being the first and opening those doors. What we want, we were starting to be conscious of is when we open those doors, we need to make sure we don't close them behind us. Yeah. If that makes sense. And that we actually make way for others to come create that diversity journey with us. So I was, for those of you in the audience who don't know this, I led the rebranding of IABC. I think it was 2013 that I started that project and uh, we launched the brand in 2017. And it wasn't just visual identity, it was asking us, who are we? Who do we want to be? And as we started having those conversations, it was a global team that I led. As we started having those conversations, those values stood out. We create connection. We are a global profession. We are a diverse community and we focus on insights and results. All of those things are an opportunity for our organization, our association. And without embracing those ideals, we risk not being relevant to the very current, the changes that are happening in the world are going to impact organizations. And for me, I've been, the one thing Advita and I do have in common is that we believe in connecting business and communication. So we're internal communication professionals. First, we have been working in engagement and change management. Diversity, equity, inclusion is not something that should be at the side of the desk that people do because it's the nice thing to do. It is actually integral for how organizations move forward with the changes that are coming. And I think for me, that's exciting. And it's hard because for the last, even inside IABC, there are times that people treat me like the rebel, if you will. You're the, maybe I was a rebel before you were a rebel, Abita, but it's always been seen as there she goes again, talking about diversity and, and this is a pain. We don't have time for that. And I have seen that being that voice in the ear of some people who didn't like that voice has made a difference because we're seeing changes in the organization slowly. But I truly believe it's integral to our survival as an association, especially one that claims to be global. There are so many points there to pick up on what you were saying. Um, firstly, Trudy is in one of our earlier podcasts. Um, for our listeners, I'd strongly recommend you pop back after listening this one and, and have a listen to Trudy and um, Howard Kreis. And lots of fabulous global connections. And I can really, that really resonates with me about the global connections and bring that to life. But what really struck me about what you were saying was how you are being the first, both of you are in many ways the first. It's hard being the first. It's hard standing up and being different. I'd really like to delve into that a little bit more if that's okay um, because obviously being the first and holding the door open for others is a very, again, a role that, and a position that needs a lot of resilience and a lot of strength and a lot of self-belief and understanding. And a lot of confidence and a lot of courage because when you close the door, it's because of those insecurities. Yeah. And it is it does take an element of confidence. It takes an element of courage. It's also an element of privilege, right? So Priya and I do have our own businesses. We don't need to report into anybody. We don't technically need to answer to anyone. 
So we have that privilege to be able to be the first and to speak up and to be bold. And obviously you heard my story at the start, you know, I have this purpose and this passion and this desire to make sure that others don't suffer unnecessarily because of other people's behaviours. And that drives me to be that one to put my hand up and say, I'll do that and I'll step forward and I'll take that opportunity. And it's not without its risks, Monique. You know, Priya and I have battled (laughs) and fought uh, other people who, you know, friends that we thought were supporters who have taken offence because of something that we've shared. People get defensive very quickly. And it's not and it's not because they're malicious or anything like that. It's because, to Priya's point, they are insecure in their own education and their own knowledge. They are feeling defensive because they pride themselves on being inclusive, but not necessarily practising inclusion. So when we call it out, And we do, you know, call things out because it's our role to do that. People don't like it, right? And we have to manage that relationship with some of the individuals within the PR and communication space. And there are, you know, I'm sure there's people who are listening who have had conversations with Priya and I and run-ins with us as well, I would say, where they have felt slightly uncomfortable about what we have said and have stepped away from some of the work that we do and haven't really engaged with us. And that's okay because they need time to process what's happened and we're not there to do that job for them, right? Our job is to raise awareness, to make sure that people have the resources if needed and know where to go for help. What they do with that is on them. And this is something that we've had to learn over time that, and Priya will agree with this, I do have an element of rage um, which I've I've had to I've had to control. Yeah, I'm and, glad uh, you said it. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've worked on it. I've had to control. I've had to really manage it and really lean into this kind of constructive conversations and productive disagreements and that kind of stuff a little bit more because the only person that was harming was me, right? And I will say to folks that I work with that the only thing we can really control is how we react to the situation and how we behave. We can't control anyone else's behaviour. We can guide, we can advise, we can share knowledge, we can help, but ultimately it's how we react. And I realised that my level of rage was driven by the story that I shared about my friend, but also seeing inequity and inequality and unfairness in some of the stuff we do, from the events that we host and not having fair representation on stage to not allowing uh, appropriate access to people, you know, and I'll give examples, you know, and I spoke quite openly and candidly about IABC's event in June in New York last year, not this year, where there was no ramp access to the stage and there was just step access and there's no captioning for those who uh, may be deaf or hard of hearing or even if English is their second language. And it's those small changes that can make a massive impact in belonging. And I spoke to many of the global communication professionals who are not hard of hearing or deaf, but struggle to listen in the English language uh, and had to decipher that, whereas a caption on a screen or a slide would have really helped them. And those are the small things that we can all take responsibility for. And I don't say it to embarrass anybody or to, you know, to say, look how great you're not. It's not about that at all. It's about being open for advice and guidance so you can improve the experience next time. So nobody ever feels that they can't contribute or they don't feel included. And that's what we're there to do. And it does take boldness. 
it takes courage and it takes confidence and you have to accept the fact that you may be excluded yourself from saying it. And it happens. You know, Priya and I have got mm-hmm. plenty of examples where that's happened, but you can't take it personally. You do your, the job that you have to do. You be the ally that you have to be. And then it's up to that individual whether they want to take that advice on board or not. And you've mentioned a couple of things that you've spoken up about in the past couple of years. Have you seen a lot of progress in the space since you became really focused on making change and and equipping other people? It's been tough. Uh, I'll share a a story. Uh, Advita and I spoke at the Future of Work conference uh, when we were launching the book. It was in London, uh, in the Kensington area uh, in London. Yeah, the big, it was the big uh, CIPD, so the Chartered Issue of Personal Development. So HR professionals, mostly. Mm-hmm. HR professionals, internal communication professionals, DEI professionals at this event, 5,000 of them. And they hosted a hackathon. And we were very excited to take a look at what that hackathon looked like. And there were boards of different employee engagement health and wellness, EDI is how they refer to it in the UK, EDI benefits programs. And we're encouraging those professionals to put post-its of advice onto these walls and these boards. And we were looking at the health and wellness board and it was chock full of post-its at so many that it was on beyond the board. Mm-hmm. And then we looked at the EDI board and there were five. And even the advice that was given was, I think, provide flexible benefits. Like, I think that's what I saw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And, yeah. and it was disheartening. And scary and scary because these, these are majority of the folks in this room were HR professionals who are often given responsibility for equity, diversity and inclusion initiatives or the EDI or the DEI practitioners sits within that team. And the fact that, you know, the wellbeing board had hundreds of post-its on there and the EDI board had five. And even then, the advice shared on those five post-its were very tactical and not even led by EDI. It's quite scary that this is the conversation that's going on in the workplace right now. And what I was saying is what we realized, a bit of a light bulb went off that said, the reason we can relate to health and wellness is because it's for us collectively, and we can't relate to EDI because it's for them. And we need to think about what does that mean? We don't have diversity in human resources. We don't have diversity in the uh, internal communication profession in those colonized and uh, European countries where unless you're in a country that's primarily uh, made up of those diverse individuals. And because of that, it feels like it's for someone else. We're not doing it for the collective. And when you think about it, diversity is about diversity. It's, it includes all of us. Equity is about fairness. Inclusion is inclusion. It's so that we're all, all feel like we belong. So why has that term been co-opted to be something different? That's a hugely astute observation that well-being is for us and DE&I or EDI is for them and that identification with the challenges and the issues and the advice is from that self looking through your own eyes perception rather than inclusion perception. I was really interested in, uh, I was just at a conference in London, Future of Work as well, and there was 
uh, Lucy Standing gave a really great presentation on how we need to start thinking about inclusion and DEI for the ageing population. And she showed some astounding graphs of the number of people, different age groups in the workforce and how it had shifted over time from a pyramid to an actual column. Did you have any thoughts about, because it seemed to be an issue that a lot of, because there are a lot of HR professionals at that conference too, it seemed to be something that there wasn't a lot of strategy or thinking about it and about how do we engage with the older population. I mean, being us <laughs> on the call as well, it's going to be us in, in the next couple of years as well. Um, how do we engage and, and offer that inclusion in the workforce and rethinking the way that we do work and um, offer jobs and make adjustments. Uh, uh, What I was going to say is one of the things uh, that we talk about in the book is the fact that we have to start with knowing who we are, right? We need to understand representation. We have to understand, and we also have to understand why, R-D-E-I-Y. And, and we go through some focus on that, but it starts with representation. Do we represent at the various levels of our organization and in our approach, the people who make up our customers, our colleagues and our communities? And then, you know, one of the things we should be doing really well as communication, especially internal communication practitioners is listening. Right. So so we can have all kinds of biases to how we have to approach those issues, whether it's the aging population, the uh, disability community and uh, racialized people or indigenous people that we work with in uh, North America and, and in Australia as well. But we should start by listening to what their needs are and then creating solutions based on those conversations. Sorry, go ahead, Dedvita. I was just, I was about to share that one of the reasons I think the challenges we have is that, you know, Priya mentioned it there, is our biases play a big part in the decisions that we make about people who are later on in their career and the career stages. You know, we make assumptions that they may not know enough. We make assumptions that they're not as tech savvy as some of our uh, Gen Zs who may be coming in. We make assumptions that they're not interested now that they're at the end of their career. These assumptions can be quite dangerous. And to what you would have witnessed and seen when you cut the event is that we need to be very intentional with some of the decisions that we're making. And to Priya's point, we have to ask the questions and be curious about why have we made this specific decision about this particular role and what is our bias and assumptions saying about us? You know, there are situations where I've witnessed prejudice, you know, against age where some of my coaches who have been excluded from certain projects because of their age and it hasn't been obviously you can't it's discrimination so you can't say it out loud but the behaviors of the leaders have implied that this is going to be high energy work you know this is going to take uh, a lot of your time this is going to be something that may be a bit exhausting for you and as much as I love the conversation around the menopause which I think is a very important conversation to have we have still got a long way to go to um, explain and educate people about what menopause is because now the behaviors are turning into using the symptoms of menopause to discount women and older women from certain projects so I've heard stories where men in their wisdom and younger people have said oh, it's, it's going to, uh, I know you're struggling with tiredness 
right now because of the menopause. Um, so maybe you sit this one out or it's going to be, you know, I know you get your hot flushes. So maybe it's something that we need to consider because it's going to be quite difficult for you. And you need to, you know, I know you get a bit of fogginess with that. That That's appalling. My, it's <laughs> appalling. and But this is the challenge we're facing right now is because we are very open about menopause symptoms, as we should be. More women and older women are talking about it without the embarrassment. But people are weaponizing it a little bit more. Yeah. And it's something that we need to call out a little bit more. And it's something that we need to educate ourselves on as well in terms of what this means and what this looks like. But the reason and one of the, you know, one of the symptoms is a lack of confidence and self-esteem for for women who are going through perimenopause and and menopause itself where they don't speak up. So they need allies around them to say that's inappropriate for you to say that. And yes, we will include her in this project because it's important. We have a range of views of cognitive diversity, which Priya and I speak about quite openly, but also demographic diversity. Right. That is important. But we have to be allies for each other and we have to step into some of those uncomfortable conversations and say, actually, that's unfair for what you just said. And if we don't call out some of these practices and some of these behaviours, it'll continue. The trend will continue. And it goes to the other side as well, by the way. So when you look at some of the younger generation coming into the workplace and when I speak to some of my people of my generation and they'll go, I can't believe they want a promotion already. They've only been in post for three months. They need to earn their stripes. They're not experienced enough. And that generation is so different from my generation and they are hungry they are asking good questions about their, you know, about why they should commit their skills to that. And if it doesn't work out for them, they go off and set their own business up because they have that opportunity to do so because the technology allows them to. So they face discrimination on the other flip side, on the younger folks who are discriminated against from older uh, career folks who say they don't know anything because they've only been in business for two years. So it goes both ways. But we, to Priya's point, we have to ask the questions we have to be curious. We have to be allies for each other. And ally is a verb. You know, it's, it's a doing thing. So we actually have to demonstrate that we're doing something to support and we have to educate, take personal responsibility to educate ourselves. And I think there are a lot of other sort of demographic groups. For example, a colleague of mine a couple of years ago had a lot of struggles with the fact she was pregnant and had similar kind of comments and yeah innuendo about her inability to do a job or, you know, stand up and show us your belly kind of comments <laughs> that were completely inappropriate. And she was actually Ugh. quite distressed about it. Yeah. But um, there's... It's awful. Yeah, there's well, all different directions that we can take this conversation in, but I'm super interested. Yeah. The only thing that I'd add to that conversation as we finish it is that we have to stop treating everyone and each group that we've created as one, like uniform. Yeah. Because yeah. there's such a diaspora from brown people, people of age, uh, that yes, there are averages and direction and data that we can use, but we need to also, part of belonging and part of inclusion is meeting people where they are as the individuals they are. And, and we need to be more focused and ask the questions of, what do you want? <laughs> How can we use it? Like, I think there's a way of approaching the people as individuals versus these these uh, groups that can create and, bias. And this, this is the human-centric approach that we're seeing trending across HR and comms and internal comms as well in terms of also using technology to hyper-segment and algorithms to feed content to people based on their personal individual preferences. So I'm not sure how far that's going to go and how 
detailed and personalised, we can end up making our comms, but I'd be really interested. But moving on to employer branding and EVPs, which have shifted dramatically post-pandemic, particularly with uh, more of a focus in terms of the recruitment on people wanting to feel like they have a purpose in their job rather than having financial reward and even the working from home no longer being so much of a a treat as more of an expectation. Uh, What areas do you think that companies should focus on and how should communication and marketing work together? Because I think it was you, Priya, at the start who said when we were just having a chat before um, recording the podcast how diversity, equity, inclusion should be infused throughout everything that we do. I, th- I think we're going to see that shift. So I'm doing a uh, presentation this afternoon with the PR Association here in Canada and we're talking about trends. And and I believe that we're going to be see a shift from what we call DEI investment to business investment because of all the, the uh, changes that are happening from a demographic perspective and an expectation perspective. And I think that, you know, one of the things we talk about uh, is that DEI should be like a foundation. The DEI practices matter. It's like, just like the word woke, the uh, the words or the acronym or abbreviation DEI have been co-opted to be something negative versus the positive intent that they started with. And that's been done on purpose to stop progress. But progress is happening. Things are changing. We see it around us. And depending on where you come from and who you are and how you identify with that progress, it can either be exciting or it can be very scary. And for those who are in power who are scared of progress, I think the noise, we had a great, we do a podcast and we had a a podcast interview with the uh, authors of the Global Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Benchmarks. And one of the things they said to us is when the noise increases, when the pressure rises, it's because we're actually making progress. So uh, the uh, author actually said that gets her excited because she knows that there is resistance because we're moving, we're pushing our way forward, whether individuals like it or not. So the question for me when we created our book, it was about having a resource, a different way of thinking, helping our internal communication HR audience and business audience get their head around what was happening and why, and are they ready? Are they prepared for the changes and approaches that are going to be part of the future? And it's a key part of the employee value proposition and employer brand. You know, like you said, people are not as interested in financial benefits as much as they used to be. You know, they want to know, well, is this a place where I can thrive? Is this a place where I can add value? Is this a place where my purpose will be served? Is this somewhere that will allow me to make a difference to the communities that we're serving? What does this mean for me? And ultimately, will I belong in this place? And these are the kind of questions that people are now asking interviewers, you know, as they're going into the process. And it's not uh, the power dynamics, I would say, have shifted. The talent are now the decision makers in terms of where they want to put their talent and the employee value proposition work. And I do quite a lot of work in this space. You know, I have to work with the with the clients and get them to really dig deep about the why, as to Priya's point, you know, we don't want to put anything that's performative 
a tokenistic or the hope that we'll do it one day because you're lulling people into the false sense of security. So you need to really think about what is your unique offering? What is it that you are doing to help people from different communities belong? What, how are you making people feel included? How are you creating this psychological safe space? How are you uh, helping people get educated and learn? What is the career progression looking like? Can people have the flexibility that they need to live the life that they want to live? You know, the pandemic quite clearly showed that we can have a very agile workforce if we wanted to. What does that mean and what does that look like? And I think we need to move away from this kind of performative work that we often can fall into by doing recognition days and events because it's an easier thing to do. Uh, And we need to think about the outcomes that we want to achieve and how are we driving those outcomes through our people who are supporting us to achieve our objective. And if they don't feel included and they don't feel like they can belong and they don't think they can add value, that will impact your bottom line. Ultimately, you know, Priya and I don't need to share the hundreds of stats that are out there. It's quite common that when you don't give the place for people to belong and thrive and feel included, performance will dip. You know, innovation is not there. Sickness is heavy. People will leave and the business will struggle. And to recruit talent like that takes a lot of money and a lot of time. And I would ask the business leaders to think about actually what's the investment in investing in this properly compared to investing in talent coming back in to the business. I'm just conscious of the time. What would your key tip be for communications professionals and other people um, such as leaders who listen to our podcast on getting started aside from, of course, reading your book? Because <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's so many directions and so many places to start. Where What would your, your tip be? Number one, read the book. Number two, dot, dot, dot. I would say number two, you need to find, you need to do some work on yourself and to find your gaps. So where are your knowledge gaps? What's missing for you? And there's various different activities you can do for that. So we need to invest in our in ourselves and we need to invest in our the time that we need to discover where our gaps are and what decisions have we made that may have led to bias. Uh, and until we know that about ourselves, we can't progress. And I would say that would be my next tip after reading our book, obviously. Where are my gaps? What do I need to learn? And who do I need to learn from? And who's missing from my community that I can learn from? And I'm not saying taking up their time. I mean, following them, educating yourself, reading the books, watching, you know, the training and all that investment. But you need to know where your gaps are first. And you need to have a bit of focus and intention on what you want to do to make change happen. Yeah, and, I, and I'd agree with that, that uh, we, one of the reasons we started our podcast, which is Amplifying Diverse Voices, is exactly for that. We're, we're in our echo chambers right now. And we're listening to individuals who think like us and have had often the same experience. Even when you have somebody, uh, if I'm in your circle, I still have socioeconomically, I'm very privileged. And I also grew up in Canada and can speak in the language and the accent people uh, appreciate, right? The, or are comfortable with, not appreciate, but are comfortable with. So so for me, even I have made a point of expanding my circle and trying to learn from others and recognizing where, where that doesn't exist. And then, you know, as the business communicator that I am, I always say communication professional, but uh, as long as you put business or professional in front of it, that, <laughs> that is okay. But it really is about insights and results. Understand the data and do mm-hmm. your research and listening at the beginning and then create very clear goals for progress because anything else is checking a box and is just performative. 
And that's what we'd like to see is actually, you know, progress forward. And we're seeing, and it really is for this audience, get ready for a future that can seem scary, but is equally exciting. Uh, all of the organizations I've talked to, whether we're in construction and they're getting ready for a gap in the workplace and they know they're going to have to bring in new immigrants to feed that gap. We've talked to nursing organizations where they're bringing foreigners in because there's not enough people to take care of the aging population, right? These things, if we do not allow for change to happen, it hurts us personally and collectively. And it's understanding what's happening and the changes that are happening and being ready for it and being open to be ready for it. And I think that's it's ready for change. It's, uh, you know, change enablement. And this is what we say we do. But I think we personally need to to understand what our uh, challenges are personally because of our history and our biases and uh, and our uh, our own uh, you know trauma sometimes uh, confidence and courage we need yeah. to be confident confident in ourselves and courageous to step into new places to know oneself not what yeah exactly Monique and we always say you know choose hope over fear because what's the alternative and I think you know we need to step away from that fear that we sometimes have about something that we're not comfortable with and choosing hope will always give us that passion and that drive and that purpose. Yeah. And and that's kind of even when you when you read the book, like the beginning is really thinking around uh, what we want to do. And then our second half of the book is frameworks and tactical advice that you can use. But I think we have to start with the why and uh, getting our heads around this space before we step into the movement. Yeah, because people always jump, right? So people want to do tactics first without knowing the why, and which is why it fails. We didn't talk about it in the podcast, but, you know, the reason EDI and DEI has existed for decades, I won't say anything controversial, but the people do tactics first over strategy and understanding the why, which is why EDI fails. And EDI has gone on for decades. It's not a new thing. It's, it's become a little bit more urgency behind it because of what had happened in America in, in, in 2020. People have recognised some of the contribution they make to that, that behaviour. But we always want to try and fix things before knowing what we're fixing. Uh, so we go down the tactics route and we try and put all these tactics in place without actually knowing the why and the rationale behind it. So this is why we flipped it in our book and we talk about the why, because that builds confidence and courage. Because once you know your why, you know the organisation's why, you can step into that conversation and be confident in what you're saying is accurate. And then you can deploy the tactics to help address the challenges that you're facing in your workplace. But you can't do it the other way around because you're just going to be adding to the noise uh, and people are going to reject it. And that's what we're witnessing. A lot of the dominant culture, because they don't know the why, are rejecting some of the tactics being deployed from the comms teams with campaigns and, you know, messages around certain awareness days and without any kind of call to action or understanding about why they've chosen that specific topic to talk about. And that's what, you know, that's something to be really careful about because there's over 250 awareness days. And if that's the only thing that you're going to promote, then you're going to lose them straight away. Absolutely. That's a new day every, almost every work day. It is, yeah. Every work, it it is every actually work day. More, more than every work yeah. day, right? Because I think it's uh, with stat holidays, it's like 220. Uh, like if you take out stat holidays and uh, weekends, it's 220 days. 
And every day there's a new awareness being added, right? So in the last three years, South Asian Heritage Month is a big thing in the UK and Europe. There's East Asian Heritage Month now. There's Black History Month as we're fully... There's lots of different awareness days coming, which is fair and, a lot, you know, I would say it's fine and fair. But there has to be, why are we talking about it in our organisation? And what is the purpose of this conversation? And what's the call to action? So if we're going to promote it and we're going to talk about it and get people in front of the cameras to talk about how great it is at the work here, why? And what change are you expected to see making, you know, shifts? Like Black History Month, nobody, you know, latest research shows that all those massive organisations and those powerful statements that went out in 2020, 75% haven't done anything based on their commitments that they made in June 2020. So when they went back and did the research, 75% of those people haven't invested in, in black communities, haven't promoted any black people, haven't increased their colleague population. So think about it. What they did that time was pressure, but they felt they had to be tokenistic. And that's harmful because you're, you're lulling people in in a false sense of security, saying that this is a place for you and we care about you and we're going to work with you. And in fact, you're not making the adjustments that you need to make by removing the bias and you're putting them in harm's way, then you turn around and say, they're not good at what they do. They don't have the skills to do what we need them to do. And it's often because they haven't been allowed to thrive in the place that they need to thrive in. And it's, you know, it, it's one of those things that people don't want to admit because nobody's really malicious. They're just, it's easier to stick to people that you like and know and look like you. Yeah. Much easier. Thank you for such an inspiring conversation. I could have spoken with you for hours and, and learned more. Is it okay if our listeners reach out to you on LinkedIn if they have any questions? Yes, of course. Yes, of course, yeah. They can reach out on LinkedIn. They can email us. We are available. And one thing I do want to mention is that if you want to check in on where you may be in your organisation when it comes to inclusion, we do have a free assessment. That only takes 90 seconds, but it'll give you a starting point. Uh, and if you go to a leaderlikeme.com, the assessment's on the homepage. And if you take the test, uh, assessments are in 90 seconds, you'll get your results. And that's a really good starting point to see where you are organisationally when it comes to inclusive cultures. Amazing. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you so much, Monique.